Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and I'm joined today by my boss, assistant sports editor and former Warriors beat writer Janie Hu. Our guest today is Omer Caspi, who talked with us about why his transition with Golden State has gone so smoothly, and Janie and I will get into Draymond Green's return and the Warriors' Christmas Day game against Cleveland. So it's a Friday afternoon here at the San Francisco newsroom, and uh, we're just a few hours away from Draymond Green's epic return to the lineup. It's been two weeks. Um, He's supposed to get back in the lineup against the Lakers tonight. Um, And, you know, a lot has happened in these past two weeks. Um, And, you know, the biggest thing that has happened is they've won a lot of games. Uh, They're riding a season-long 10-game win streak, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it because they were without Draymond for, I believe, five of the past six games. Uh, they've been without uh, Steph for, I believe, the past six games. And uh, they've been out without Zaza. Well, you can say whatever you want about Zaza Pachulia, but he is a starting center for this team. And they've been w- without him quite a bit as well. So three center or three starters that they've been without, including two all-stars and one two-time MVP and a defensive player of the year, and they're still winning. What, what have you thought about what they've been able to do in the wake of all these absences? It's been pretty impressive. The injury report just keeps piling up. Nick Young's still out, out with the concussion protocol as well. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's Nick been, Young's actually not out anymore. He's back. He's been out for back for a couple games, but well, I'm just talking about this win streak that they, oh, while they right, while right, been right. On. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no worries. And uh, it's, you know, it can't be said enough that they have one of the deepest, if not the deepest team teams in the league. And this is what they were built for. Um, most teams could not withstand the loss of one of their stars. Most teams only have one or two. And this, this Golden State team just goes 12 deep. Um, you can slot in. You have guys like David West. You have uh, Jordan Bell. You, you, it, one goes down, another steps up. It, of course, it really helps that the constant through most of this has been Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it always helps when you have a former MVP waiting in the wings, and he has been absolutely dominant. I mean, his numbers have been insane. Um, you know, he – I think that the stat was the first five games that uh, Curry was out, he had 35 points, 10 rebounds, and seven assists in four of those games. Um, obviously, not surprisingly, won uh, Western Conference Player of the Week for, for, for that first week without – Curry, um, and what I, what's impressed me about Durant in the in the wake of uh, Curry's injury is not just what he's done from a t- statistical standpoint, but you see him really being a leader. Um, and by leader, I mean not just showing by example, but you know, coaching the guys up. You know, really being a little bit more demonstrative because by nature, Durant is more of a easygoing, lead by example type guy. Um, but there was one quote uh, in a recent game uh, where Caspi basically came up to Durant at halftime and personally thanked him for being so encouraging. And that that's leadership, you know. And he does that every day on a certain level, but you've seen him take that to another notch with, with Curry out. And the thing that I've always been impressed by with Durant is he has a really good understanding of – 
when to go all in, when to be dominant, when to flex his powers, if you will, and when to be, you know, to defer a little bit and when to step step back and and pass the ball to a Curry if he's if he's available or a Clay. And you saw, you know, the other night against Memphis um, when Clay was going off in that first half. He had 27 points in the first half. For a minute there, I thought we were going to be witnessing another 60-point masterpiece. Uh, he had 29 points in the game, only two in the second half. But Clay, a lot, if you watch the replays of that game, a lot of those those shots that he was making were set up by Durant. Durant would find him in the right spot, and uh, you know he might turn down a good shot to find – uh, clay wide open for a great shot and so he was making the right decisions and um you know that was that's got to be encouraging because not only does it help that you know he's he's he can dominate when he needs to but i think it shows that he's uh he's going to be in a better place when when curry does come back so one thing that's interesting is when we when we were talking about Steph being out, Draymond being out, and all the other guys that are ste- that are stepping up. One name that both you and I omitted was Clay Thompson, and right. he's been a constant there. Right. And so my question for you is, what what is he like as a leader, or just you know, we we talk about the Splash Brothers, and it's Steph Curry, and it's Clay Thompson. Is he just Clay Thompson, happy to go along with everything? Yeah, I mean, the the great thing about Clay Thompson, I don't, I'm not sure if everyone fully understands this because they look at clay and they see that he loses his train of thought in interviews and they see that he's you know obsessed with his dog and they just kind of he's kind of a punchline a little bit but what you might lose in that is that that is why he's great and that is why he fits this team so well because you can't have everyone want the spotlight you can't have everyone wanting the ball you can't have a bunch of ball dominant superstars because there is only one basketball right um and so the great thing about clay is that he doesn't not only need the spotlight to, to do what he does, but he doesn't need the basketball. I mean, when he scored 60 points last last season, he held the ball for like less than a minute right. total. I mean, he barely touched the ball. He's he's led the league the past three seasons in catch-and-shoot opportunities. Um, and he's a, he's phenomenal at working away from the ball, working off screens, and, uh, you know, scoring with, without even needing the ball. So, But the great thing about him is it's not – just the on-court ability to do that but also off the court he he really would prefer if we never talked to him again he would prefer just to go home hang out with Rocco hang out with his brothers and just kick it and you know he's still to this day even though he's been in the league you know over half a decade he's still really uncomfortable with the fact that he's famous Right, and uh, you wrote a fascinating story about this when uh, they left for China, about Clay being Clay and the whole China Clay phenomenon, and he just almost it's oblivious to him the the, not drama but just the popularity that unfolds all around him right I mean his best friend a guy who who lives with him Seth Tarver who full disclosure went to my high school actually uh he gave me an anecdote one time about them going to a wing stop and you know he knew it was a pretty crowded wing stop in Oakland and Seth I think was I like, know hey, exactly what wings talk you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, Seth was like, hey, I should probably go pick up this order for us just so we can get in and out. And Clay was like, no, I'll, I'll get it. And then he walks in, and he's bombarded for by 
you know, autograph ha- autograph hounds, and he's shocked by it. He doesn't understand, even though this is the daily existence that he lives, right? So right. it's kind of like, how do you not know that that's going to happen? But but that's who Clay is, and that's why uh, everyone in the organization appreciates him because that's really rare, you know, in in the, this day and age where you know there's so many bloated egos and there's so many you know guys who think they're better than they are. Um, he just wants to go make some three pointers. And like I said, chill with Rocco. There was actually a really funny, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a funny moment after a game last week where someone asked him about Rocco and it was a joking kind of lighthearted question looking for kind of a lighthearted response. And he got really serious (laughs) and almost emotional. And he was like, you know, Rocco is a blessing in my life. You know, he means so much to me. And it was it was really heartwarming, but it was just kind of funny because it was such a serious response to such a lighthearted question. But Clay doesn't necessarily pick up on a lot of those cues, um, which which is great. I mean, I love covering him, to be honest. He might be one of my favorite people to cover because he's just so unintentionally funny. All right, I'm going to share one more Clay tidbit, which is the fact that he actually reads a newspaper before every game. Yes. And he reads the San Francisco Chronicle, if we're going to be honest here. Uh, He does read other papers as well. He does read the San Francisco Chronicle. I've got people asking me why is he doing advertisements for another paper. He does read the San Francisco Chronicle. I'll I'll go on record saying that. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, the great thing about this team is that there's so many personalities and there's so many different uh, personalities, and they bring so much to the table. And... The most demonstrative and loquacious personality is obviously Draymond Green. We we all know that. Uh, he is the emotional leader of this team. And him being out for two weeks was, was interesting to me because I've said from day one, whenever I do an interview, whenever I go on the radio or do a TV hit, I always get asked, who's the most important player on this team? And I always say Draymond Green because he brings something that no one else can bring, which is – his emotional bravado on a team filled with mild-mannered personalities. He is the the spark plug. He's the glue that makes it all work. So I was really curious. I can't say I was actually curious because I didn't know he'd be out two weeks. It was kind of a day-to-day thing for two full weeks. But um, the fact that they they played as well as they did with him out for that long is huge. I mean, because he brings so much both on and off the court to this team. But wouldn't you say that some of that Draymond intensity and feistiness is rubbing off on players now? Um, Kevin Durant. Yeah. You, we saw emotional displays from him that we just haven't seen before. I mean, leading to ejections even. Right. Um, Jordan Bell, we've talked a little mini Draymond in training. Right. But I do think some of that rawness is now floating down. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And, you know, Draymond's still there. You know, he's not on the court, but he's on the sideline barking in guys ears he was the only guy who was injured who still went to the lakers game in la because he just can't be away from it um and he was on on the bench barking at um barking at jordan bell there was one sequence where he were early in the first half against the lakers jordan bell bit on a pump fake and you can the 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 camera showed draymond on the sideline just freaking out and going off on him and as soon as he got pulled out of the game. Draymond was in his ear telling him exactly, not just that he shouldn't bump, jump on the pump fake, 
but exactly the dynamics of that play and what went into why he did that and why he shouldn't do that. It was a really nuanced explanation that uh, Jordan later relayed to us, and um, that kind of stuff is huge. Um, so, um, But the two biggest takeaways from an individual standpoint with Draymond being out were obviously Jordan Bell and Omer Caspi. So Jordan Bell has been probably the biggest feel-good storyline of the season. We've talked about him at length. I literally can't go a day without being asked about him, I feel. Um, and he continued to do his thing. He had a bunch of you know, highlights, uh, had really some really nice stat lines in there. But you also saw a little bit more than we've seen earlier in the season some rookie mistakes. You know, he you you saw that he is a human being. He is a rookie who's still very much figuring out the game. Um, and you know, he's he. There's some moments that I, I know he would have liked to have back. Right. Well, I think a lot of those rookie mistakes, and they're certainly not limited to Jordan Bell, but a lot of it has to do with focus, um, forgetting to run back on defense after a play. That's those are mistakes that rookies are going to make. And is he now though? He's making up for them enough, or at least at the rate that Coach Kerr feels comfortable leaving him in a little bit longer, or so he knows somebody's going to get in his ear about yeah. what he's not doing. I mean, it's all it's all risk reward, right? And with the thing with with him is, even though he might have a bad mistake here and there, he's so athletic that he makes up for it. It's and almost unfair in some ways. I mean, <laughs> he he can do something really stupid, but then he'll do three great things right. in a row, and you forget about the stupid thing he did, you know, because he, I think he is one of the best athletes on this team. Uh, Steve Kerr has said that he's the fastest player on this team, which this is a guy who is, you know, <laughs> he's six foot nine, 224 pounds, and he's the fastest player on this team. Um, you know, his, his high school coach told me a story one time about when he was in high school, just on a whim, he decided to go out for the track team one day and ran the 400 meters and won the meet. And then it was like, I'm, uh, I'm good now. I don't need to actually run track. He could have, he could have won state in California, in LA, uh, in the 400 meters, and just didn't really feel like it. But that's the type of athlete we're talking about. And um, the moment that I think you were referencing was, uh, or at least one of the moments was the Lakers game, when not only did he not run back on defense, but he blocked ba Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram ended up going down pretty hard and got injured. I don't. Jordan did not know he was injured at the time, but he was on the ground. He just stared over him and kind of taunted him. And in while that was happening, Patrick McCaw ran down the, on the, the other end of the court and missed the layup. Jordan Bell, being the player he is, probably would have had that tip dunk right there. Um, but instead he was, you know, taunting an opposing player. And he got reamed out, got pulled out of the game for it. And it was a big learning moment for him. And that's really what this whole season is about. I keep telling everyone this season is a prelude to the season that actually matters for him. This is all icy on the cake because next season's when it really matters when all their centers right now are on one-year deals and they're not currently under contract for next season. So if he does what he needs to do and he continues to make strides, the Warriors are potentially going to feel comfortable not going out and spending a bunch of money in free agency and making him their starting center or at least a guy who can play 25-plus minutes a night. You know, you don't know if, maybe Kerr wants a Zaza or, or seven footer to start. But, um, and then the other guy who's been great is Omer Caspi, who we actually got to talk to, uh, you know, earlier 
uh, this week. And he, the thing about him that is so interesting is he's phenomenal at cutting to the rim, which is a skill that might seem really simple and basic, right? But it's really fundamental, especially to the way the game is played right now, where there's so much movement and off-ball screens and back cuts and, and that kind of thing. And he is just great at finding the precise moment when the guy defending him looks away and he'll run as hard as humanly possible toward the rim. And the Warriors, to their credit, are great at finding him. And I wrote a story yesterday that got into you know the nuances of that. 84% of his... Uh, of his shot attempts have been within 10 feet. Uh, you know, that is it, incredible. Yeah, he's shooting over 60. He's shooting 60.7 percent from the field. That's over, that's 16 percentage points above his career average. He's shooting 60 percent from three point range, yet he's averaging a career low in three point percent in three point shots by far. He's shooting only about 15 percent of his shot attempts are um, are three pointers, whereas. Uh, earlier entering this season it was 35 percent. so he's known for being a great three-point shooter and now everyone's wondering why aren't you shooting threes especially when you're making them it's because why would you shoot threes when you're making a bunch of wide open layups right when you're getting these gimme shots yeah that's, that's the other thing you uh, in your story that i loved was I, I i don't know exact the percentage like more than half of his shots he's not even dribbling yeah <laughs> he no, even it's like 58 percent of his shots he literally doesn't dribble right. and honestly someone who has similar numbers to that is is clay Plank. thompson right. who does it in a different way he, d- he he works off the ball mainly to get jump shots whereas uh omri does back cuts to get toward the rim and get layups so it's a little bit different but there's but he told me that he studied uh, Clay, in terms of how he works off the ball, and we had a really good conversation a couple of days ago, talking in depth about that. And here's here's our conversation. The cut and work off the ball and work off screens seems like the biggest reason why you fit so well into this system. But do you think do you think that it's been a natural fit, just that skill translating to this offense? I mean, I think it's the offense. You know, makes it. Yeah, nobody really was talking about my cutting as much. You know, it's, it's, Sometimes you, you come into this beautiful system that we have, and, and you can bring it out out of you. So it's mostly the system, man. I mean, yeah. I'm just I'm just playing hard, and I'm really not doing anything special. Just play hard, cut hard, you know, and you know, read the game and, and see what the game gives you. So mostly the system. Where where do you think you you learned that skill though? Because you obviously had that skill before you got here. Right, right. Well, growing up, was it was there a coach or or? No, it wasn't. You know, you know the, the game overseas is so much predicated about movement and cutting and moving without the ball. It's yeah. Not as, as much as a one-on-one. So, you know, you, you come in at an 80-year-old, 70-year-old when you start playing basketball, and that's all you learn. You yeah. Move, cut, pass. You know, you won't, you won't see ISO basketball almost never, you know, yeah. in, in a junior team level. So, everything is predicated on movement and, and cutting with movement without the ball. So, become a second nature. So, when you're... Uh when you first started, when do you first remember learning about off-ball movement and that stuff? So that, that's the whole point. You know? Yeah. So, so like, it's, since not, it's never really like, hey, let's learn about cutting today. You know? Yeah. Just, that's how we play the game. You know? Yeah. You pass, you cut, you move right after. You don't hold the ball. You don't. You don't hold the ball for more than half a second. Yeah. And now, like you see, the Spurs are doing it, and we're doing it, and you know, some good offensive teams are doing it. But this is how we learn. Like you hold the ball. Coach gonna be on your ass, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it predicated because some, you know, the one on one game is not as developed overseas. Yeah. And and 
you know, coaches are now really, you know, forcing to play one-on-one too. So it's like, you know, the egg and, and the chicken. So it's always going to be the same way. Did you have a specific coach that comes to mind that, that was really harping on you about not holding the ball for too long and, and, and moving uh, away from the ball? Oh, really? oh, pretty much all of them in, 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 in Europe. Yeah, pretty much all of them. Yeah. yeah. See a lot of guys overseas that playing that certain way. Was that a tough transition going from that style of play to the NBA, where especially when you first came in the league, it was more yeah. ISO driven? I mean, when I came in the league, I remember our individual workouts going into the draft and all that was, you know, one on one in the post, one on one at the elbow, one on one at the you know top. You know, and I'd rather do that. You know, so. <laughs> right. It's just different, you know, and you know, the game has changed over the you know the past eight nine years to, to more like shooting, more movement, and cutting, etc. Right, right. right. You know, obviously, to me, it just fit my system better. Was that was that frustrating? You know, going through pre-draft workouts, knowing that you weren't really necessarily able to show uh, what your best skills were. Yeah, I, I feel like you know, the, the whole process is simple. Uh, yeah. Sometimes the whole process is um, it's just. I don't know how things are now, but you know, yeah. when I was there, I mean, it's not really a game situation. You know? It's yeah. not really cutting off the ball. Or playing, so. you know, I think the game has changed for the better. I mean, the one-on-one ISO is, is a very you know, bad shot. Now we understand it's a very bad shot. You know? and, you know, one shoot a contested two or a fadeaway two or even an open two. Yeah. I'd rather shoot an open three and, and a layup over that. What was kind of the? I know you had several coaches in Sacramento, but what was kind of the offensive systems there? Yeah, I, the guy that I really uh, liked was uh, Pete Carrill. Okay. I from from his. We, we still do some of the stuff that he do. Uh, that he did back in the day. Who? Uh, Pete, Pete Carrill. Oh, okay. And uh, he's all about spacing, you know. Back was he in, an assistant? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, he's, okay. Uh, he's our, not an assistant necessarily, but he was like a consultant to the uh, coaches. Okay. Uh, he was the guy that really, you know, put in the system. We still do some of the stuff that they did back in the day. And just moving and cutting and, you know, he was all about not holding the ball. And I loved it, you know, that was my, my best year in the Sacramento. Right. And uh, George called too. George is very... Patient space. Patient space, yeah. He's very about not holding the ball and scoring early and, and attacking early. And then, you know, if you get a good shot, take it. And, like that. So you don't really feel like you're necessarily doing that much different than you did when you, in your days in Sacramento, right? uh, or do you feel like you're? you're no, our system is different than George. Well, George, George I mean, I mean, what you like your skill set? You feel like is it? I feel like it's very similar to what we try to do with George. Yeah. George was just uh, 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 you know, he understands the game at a very high level. It's just a different system, a different. You know, you can play the same system with different guys, and you're gonna get different looks. You know, so right. sometimes when I play with you know the bench, you know I get different looks. Sometimes when I play with you know KD, I get different looks. When I play right. with stuff, I get different looks. So the system is, is similar. You know, you cut, you move, you don't hold the ball. You know, this work, you know, a lot of you know great coaches are trying to do now. But you know, you get different looks and different lineups that you have on there. And, and coach always mix things up. And even in practice, like we'll run different lineups just to see what's out there and, and get, get used to it. Before you came here, watching Golden State, were there were there times where you're like, man, that'd be fun to be in that system, <laughs> just with, with all the movement? Uh, and, and a lot of teammates over the years, they're like, hey, I mean, you ever been approached by San Antonio Spurs or by, by, by the Warriors? And you know, sometimes I said yes, yeah, sometimes I said no, but you know, they're like, oh, you can really fit into that system. It's going to be your game. And, and I'm happy, you know, it's 
dream come true to play in that system, man. Those guys are so selfless. My job is easy. Like, I stayed right. after the game. And, like, my job is just cut hard, you know? And, you, right. and, you, and he'll pass to you. You don't, you, don't, you don't see that often. And those guys are great, and they find me. And I just you know, want to stay humble and, and work on my game and get better. Like, my job is very easy, and, and it's all great to those guys finding me and, and the system that is really fit my game. Is that why you haven't been taking a lot of threes? Because you've had so many easy buckets at the rim? I've had success, and... you know, I've had success early on and I've, I've, I'm having success cutting, you know, and sometimes I'm like, you know, it's there for me. But at the same time, it's, it's different line, like, you know, if you cut and you're open, you know, why not keep doing it, you know, and yeah. kind of expose what, what you can see out there, you know, so... It depends the lineup I play with, but at the same time, sometimes I'm having open shots that I, I need to take. So. But what makes a good cutter? Um, purpose, yeah. uh, cutting. You know, it's, it's more of a, it's more of like you reading the situation and, and going hard through your motion. You know? Right. Just go go hard. I go hard in practice on my cuts because these are the same movements I'm gonna do in the game, like KD and stuff, shooting off the ball threes. After dribble threes, you know, these are the shots they're going to take in the game. I'm taking those shots and cut the center of the screen and run it to the rim. So, so hard. Just knowing exactly what you're doing. Did, was that, was that, in a, did it take a while to, to, to get comfortable with that, just getting comfortable with the Warriors system? No, I mean, it's or was it a pretty, pretty easy, smooth learning transition, curve? yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, the good thing is that I, I played this summer with my national team. Every time I go back in the summer, like, there's this transition time that, all right, you play in the NBA, it's different. Now you play right. in Europe, and, and the game is different. So, you know, I've had easier and smoother transition because of, I came in shape and, and wasn't really feeling great with my body yet, but now I'm starting to feel better with my body and, and kind of getting back to the old myself before the injuries and everything I've had last year. So, you know, I felt like it was smooth. Has things been going better than you ever expected for them to go this season? You know, you obviously you've been in and out based off uh, injuries and that sort of thing, but you've really started to establish yourself as a rotation guy. At this point. Well, and one of the things I learned is that you know you don't really, I don't really set a lot of expectations on myself because yeah. when you set out expectations, there's things that are out of my control right. that I can't like, like last year. Coming in and you get hurt last year, you come in, you don't know how much. Let's say, all right, I want to expect myself to average 10 points and be a part of. What if you know things are not going my way? What, what if I'm not playing? You know, so right. there's things that are my control. There's things that are, are not, and, and I always focus on what it, what it is. And I always coach, coach, coach. Like it doesn't matter when you throw me in there, I'll be ready to go because it doesn't matter when you throw me in. There. I can start or I can come off the bench in the last two minutes of the game and be ready to go because this is what this is what I, I can control. And this is my focus. Always been my focus. I mean, I, especially this year, I felt like I took a step forward, you know, mentally. Uh, of being ready to go and being ready and, and you know whatever coach needs to you know to go and uh, and, and I take it from there. I obviously set set high goals when I'm playing and I'm setting expectations when I'm playing. But this is this is the things that I can't control. So I didn't know what to expect coming in, you know, and, yeah. and how how things going to be. I, I knew that you know that if I come in and play hard and I get my my chances, I'll, I'll do good. And, Take it from there. Do you do you, is, do you watch a guy like Clay? Because he's obviously really good at that as well. Right. He's a phenomenal cutter. Never touches the ball. It seems. Right. Do you study a guy like that? Yeah, I study Clay a lot. You know, we have obviously a different game. You know, yeah. I'm a more I'm more curling and cutting to, to the rim to the layups. He's more moving without the ball for a jump shot. Right. Uh, this is something that's really you know predicated on our movement. You know. Like, Sending a down pick on Clay. Everybody's so worried about him, Steph, KD, you know, the right. guys that are real shooters. 
so there's a lot of different you know points around them you know they, just of because of the because of everything around them yeah space and, and just everybody's so focused like you see somebody going down straight on play like oh play's coming down like you got to be aware of it if right. you're not you're going to knock them down so this is where you can like come down and you know do all the little things you can do around them cool man i appreciate you taking the time man thank you brother so yeah, as you as you can tell, obviously a really humble guy, not really willing to admit that he does anything special. But you know, you talk to anyone else, and they they say he's the best in the one of the best in the NBA at what he does, which is cutting to the basket. And um, I'm personally kind of curious to see what happens to him going forward with Draymond being out because there's just there's a numbers crunch here. There's just not minutes to give him with Draymond in the fold and Jordan Bell doing what he's doing. And it's hard to not give a guy like Omri minutes when he's playing as well as he is. But, um, you know, he, he's already resigned to that. He's, he's comfortable with the fact that he's going to have infrequent minutes and why he's been such an asset to this team this season is he's a true professional and has been, you know, ready whenever they have needed him. And that is such an asset, especially considering that this is a guy on a veteran minimum deal who, you know, didn't get a lot of interest in free agency last summer. So, uh, he, n- another example of Bob Myers doing his thing and uh, pulling one, pulling one out right there. So, but we have a big game coming up in a couple of days: Christmas Day game, primetime game. Uh, everyone's going to be watching it against uh, Cleveland. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I don't even mind missing hanging out with my folks who will be in town. Um, because it's it's this is the premier game of the regular season calendar. Uh, what do you, what do you think is going to happen in this one? Well, I think NBA fans might be a little disappointed. You're missing Steph Curry. Isaiah Thomas is still out as well. But the you, you can't get away from it's Warriors Cavs. A lot of folks would say that this is the beginning of the regular season right. of sorts. Um, so I, I'm still looking at it to be the, the crowd is going to be there. They're going to be involved. Um, Draymond will be back. So it, it, I'm not re- Steph. Not Steph. <laughs> yes, <But> Draymond. <laughs> Draymond. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So let no Steph, no Isaiah Thomas. But you've got LeBron. You've got Draymond. You've got Clay Durant. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, Cleveland got off to a bit of a slow start, but I think they're trying. They're starting to find their groove, um, and now they've got a lot to look forward to now with Thomas um, projected to come back in early January. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, the big storyline, especially with Steph, is going to be LeBron versus KD on that primetime stage because they have quite a history. Um, you know, they they obviously went head to head in the finals about a half decade ago when uh, when Durant was in. Oklahoma City and they lost to LeBron's Heat and then uh, Durant got a little bit of a redemption by not only winning the title over LeBron's Heat in June but dominating that series uh, hitting that big shot in game you know game three and uh, winning finals MVP Um, so the question is is LeBron gonna want a little bit of redemption yes it's just the regular season but anyone who watched that Christmas game last year in Cleveland knows that this is this isn't any ordinary game. They, they it's going to get heated. That one got very heated, very emotional. It did not feel like a regular season game. I can tell you, uh, that game was a lot more intense than most of the pre- playoff games that the Warriors played. Uh, you know, come postseason time. So. Um, it's going to be a fun one for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, 
I don't know if the players love playing on Christmas Day. I think it's great for the fans. You're with their family. You, you've, got a, you've got the turkey, you've got the ham, and you get to sit down and you get to watch the premier players play yeah. uh, this season, maybe accepted, no curry. But it, it's, you know, what do, you, do the players like it? What, do they get up for these games? I think, uh, I, I think they like it a lot more when they're at home. Right. I mean, I, they're, they're very thankful that they're in Oakland uh, for this one, because especially since it's a noon tip. You know, they can go play and, you know, go hang out with their families by, you know, a decent hour. They're going to still get a ton of quality time with their families. Um, I know I'm happy for the same reason, even though I have to write for a couple hours after they're done with the game. But um, so it's a lot better. Uh, I can tell you from my own experience, it was kind of a low low point for me last season, my first year on the beat just kind of looking at my my life and being like man I'm in Cleveland in a Marriott on Christmas day by myself like kind of looking around like feeling all existential <laughs> like why am I doing this I've been there with <laughs> Thanksgiving and New Year's uh, when the Warriors when I covered the Warriors they were not marquee enough to be on the Christmas day bill <laughs> Yeah yeah but no I obviously I love the job and it's just it's a part of the job so it comes with the territory but I'm not complaining. And so I'm just curious. I know we don't we don't really do a lot of predictions on this podcast, but just for, for fun's sake, what do you think what do you think happens? Do you do you think the Warriors can pull this one out? I think I think the Warriors uh and I don't I don't I don't think it's going to be that close. You don't? Why why do you say that? I just think that they're gonna be motivated to put on a show in front of the home crowd. Yeah, no, I agree, and to, and I honestly think that it's not going to be close because because of that reason, but also because I just think they're better than they were last season. Yes, Steph is not available, but they're playing so well right now. They've they've actually been in some ways they have. I hate to say this, this is kind of sacrilege. They have been better in a lot of statistical ways with Curry out, and that's just because they're focusing more and they're they're not making as many stupid passes and silly fouls um because of the of kind of being on pins and needles with curry out um and i also just don't think the Cavs are as good as they were last season right you know they're just they obviously isaiah thomas is not available right now and kyrie irving's a pretty darn good player that's what i'm saying kyrie had great games had some great games against the warriors yeah it's and he still does, as we saw, you know, recently in Boston. Uh, he's like if any guy in the league outside of LeBron. He gives the Warriors the most trouble. I, I, I don't see Isaiah Thomas, even when he's healthy, giving them the same type of difficulties. But it'll be a good one, um, and we'll be we'll be back uh, next week uh, reviewing that one and and getting into to the rest of this this crazy schedule so thanks for for joining us and and thank you to omri for for joining us as well it was great chatting with him This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Thank You for Playing by Ryan Little, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. For more Warriors coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron, C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N, and Janie at Janie underscore Hugh, J-A-N-N-Y underscore H-U. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.